to finish this, don't I? Yeah, let's go to Ephesians 5. We'll start in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Circum from circle. Speckly looking. Walk looking around. Our covenant says the same thing. The Proverbs is full of it. Walk circumspectly. That means walk looking around. Don't be surprised and come up on something you're not prepared for. Like the bridge is out. Uh, Not as fools, but as wise. Not walking circumspectly would be as a fool. Uh, What's that old saying? Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Just walk and just go on in. We ought to always be careful. Youngsters ought to be careful where they walk. You don't walk in on a bunch a bunch of, of criminals. You go the other way. You don't walk in on people that are going to destroy you, your reputation and everything, and they're out to hurt you. You walk circumspectly. If I don't go in a pub, it's not because I think I'm better than everybody in there. It's that they're doing something I don't want to do. That's why I don't go in there. Not that I can't be affected by it, because I ultimately can. You expose yourself to that other side, and pretty soon you say, well, this isn't so bad. And then the next thing you know, you're right in it. All right? And that's the way it always is. So walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Buying it back. How can you do that? You got to make the best use of it. You kids, I know our kids want to play, and it's all to think about is playing. Your childhood is not just to play. Your childhood is to get you ready for adulthood. For example, Anybody ever thought about going in the military? Some of us have gone in the military. Well, you're not in boot camp or basic training just because they want to harass you. You've got, what is it, nine weeks or 11 weeks of basic training. Then you get advanced training after that if you go to it. But nine or 11 weeks, I forgot what it is. But... What that's for is to get you ready to go to war. During the Second World War, when when Pearl Harbor was bombed by the Japanese, we're allies now, but we weren't then. We were bitter enemies then. And there's some from the Second World War that never did warm up to the Japs. Because of what they did and the way they treated their prisoners and all that. I mean, we were all out war. And these idiots today will act like there wasn't anything to all that. Why did we put Japanese in, in, uh, in uh, concentration camps? Because you couldn't dress them. Many of them you could. But look at them. 
they're Japanese. They got Jap ties with Japan. And many of them were spies. All of them weren't. Some of them were extreme patriots. But all of them weren't. Now, I understand that. Germans would do the same way. Uh, because we were fighting them. They were enemies. And that's just, that was tragic on them. But that's just the way it was. It was wartime. And people that have not been through a war, they don't understand what it's like. We think we know everything. Because you listen, you listen to a bunch of liberal dogs that have done nothing but sit in a, in a, a philosophy class or a government class, and they think they know everything because they read a book or two. They don't know anything. But anyway, supposing we're going to war. We're already at war. And you young men and women, you get, you get uh, inducted, get drafted. And they can do it right now. They can do it. So here you are, 17, 18 years old, and you just got drafted. Now you're going to, you got drafted into the Army or the Marines. Well, you know where you're going to go? You're going to go with the Army or the Marines, and you're going to go to a battlefield where they're shooting at you. Tanks and guns and everything else. And everybody that you look at on the opposing side, they're trying their best to blow you to smithereens. You better get something done that you know what you're doing. And that's what basic training is all about. It's not just so somebody can play and, and, and uh, be mean to you. Everything you learn won't be half as bad as it's going to be. They didn't make boot camp as bad as Vietnam was, did they, brother? And that going in those jungles, no way they could they could make as bad in boot camp or basic training as what you actually got when you got over there and got in the jungles. And you don't know behind what tree are they shooting at you, what booby trap you got, and all that. <clears throat> so anything that they do with you in basic training, it's not nearly going to be as bad as uh, as what you're going to see if you actually get into battle. Well, to get in the Navy, we get ready to steam a ship, keep a ship afloat. Well, we, they can make mock ships and all that, and we did. Uh, but it ain't what we were in a sinking ship, the water up. I'm breathing from the overhead, the top, got about that much, trying to get up a ladder. 150 men getting out of that place, and it just keeps on going up. Well, they panicked because you're, you know, you forget you're in a mock up, and people did get hurt. But that ain't as bad as being in the real thing and you don't get out of it. Well, they teach you everything they can teach you to where you can handle yourself when you get into it if they, if they can teach you that much. That's basic training. That's boot camp. That's what you're there for. Childhood is the same way for life. Yeah, you can play, but play is not the purpose of childhood. It's for you to learn how to be a productive adult. Well, our childhood spiritually. When you're saved, Jesus said, except you come as a little child. We got to grow up all over again because all that other had nothing to do with what the Lord's word says and spiritual growth. So now we've got to grow up. Let's learn all we can learn so we can, we can 
stand on our own and be a fit servant of God. Well, redeeming the time. How much time do you have to waste? Hezekiah was talking about this morning with your thing there with the turn of sundial back 10 degrees. He was ready to die. There, he was dying. Now listen to this. He begged the Lord to give him 15 more years. All right, now you kids, you think you've got 15 years. You might. Some of us might have. Some of us might not have near that much. Is that time valuable? If I'm going to die now and the Lord spares me for two more years, i got two more years to get it done what I'm going to do. I don't have time to just sit and waste it. I've got to do something. I've got to accomplish something, especially something for the Lord. So that's redeeming the time because the days are evil or close, near. That's what, that's what that means. How near are they? Who knows? I see the obituaries. I'm telling you, I can't believe how many obituary columns I've seen in the last two or three weeks of people from their 20s and 30s dying. It's not just us old codgers that's dying. They're young. And I think every time I see, man, look how long I've already... I've lived way past where they have. Right now, at my age, I've lived longer than my, my daddy lived by a long shot. I've lived a little bit longer than my mother lived. And if I lived till my brother made it, he was five months of being 80. Well, uh, five months before October would be what? Uh, June, uh, May, last of May, and then June, July, August, September, October. Yeah, if if I can live, if I can live till the last of May, I will have lived as long as my brother. He made five months within eighty. If I I don't have any longer than that, I'll be eighty in October. So I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. How are you going to live? You know how? I don't know how. I just look at, look at my family. I don't know. Well, I don't have much time. I couldn't have. If I've got a lot, I still don't have much. And yet none of us do. And it's not, you know, it's not a joke. It's serious. Redeeming the time. Wherefore, be you not unwise. But understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine. And now the kind of wine that gets you drunk is what he's talking about. Wherein is excess. Now you know one time. Brother Brown said this. In chapel. A little... What we take the Lord's Supper with. Would you call that a dram glass? I think you probably would. A dram glass, just a dram of liquid is not very much. 
Well, Mountaineers talk about a dram drinker. Little Maggie, the song Little Maggie, she got a dram glass in her hand. Ah! (laughs) Sipping, just a little sip of it, a little sip of it. Brother Brown said that little shot glass that we use for the Lord's Supper of fermented wine alters your thinking. Just a little shot. I said, yes, I believe that, Brother Brown. And he, he got off the subject. But talking about staying away from alcohol, you know, absolutely. So does this say it's okay just so you don't get drunk? I don't think it is. But, but whatever, he says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess. But be filled with the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is neither of those. To be filled with the Spirit of God is to be led by the Spirit of God. And how are we led by the Spirit of God? By His Word. And that's how we are filled with the Spirit of God. Now, he says, now look at this though. He makes a comparison. Now, if you're drunk with wine, your mind is altered. You're not the same. That's why people get drunk. They want their raw selves to be known. Oh, I can't have no fun unless I got something to drink in me. What, what you mean... You, you'll do anything? Yeah. And that's what happens. But the point of it is that to be drunk is that your mind has been altered and under the control of something that you don't have the control of. How come people do all kinds of stuff when they're drunk? I remember that I was in the Navy, I was in the fire, on the fire department, while some of them guys come in off weekend, been drunk, hey, hey, I don't even remember what I did. Ha, 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 ha. You ever heard them talk like that? What'd you do? I don't know. I was drunk. I didn't know anything. And just laughing about it like you really made an accomplishment. That really takes a lot of intelligence to chug a load of alcohol and blow your mind that you don't know what you're doing. And that's how many people end up in prison for the rest of their life. Because they murder somebody. Get behind a wheel and murder. I'm thankful they're arresting people for that now. Because you don't have your mind. Here's what I say about that getting drunk. It's bad enough if you got your right mind about you. Trying to keep straight. Let alone having that. Drugs are the same way. Any mind altering substance is the same way. And he makes that comparison though. He says, but... Don't lose the control of yourself by alcohol or drugs or something like that. Because alcohol is a drug. But be ye filled with the Spirit. What do you mean if you're filled with the Spirit, your mind would be altered? Absolutely. But you don't have to worry about what you would do being filled with the Spirit of God, being led by His Word, because you will walk walk circumspectly and walk according to the word of God. So that's a good thing to be.
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, if you're doing that, you ain't running your mouth against somebody. Amen? Amazing grace. How about singing that instead of blasting off somebody with the mouth? Wouldn't that be a lot better? That's what he said. That's, that's walking wisely. And somebody, listen, what in the world was the apostle Paul uh, and Barnabas, what were they doing when they was down in that cellar, in that dungeon? In that pitch black, stinking dark dungeon, locked in those chains or those, uh, uh, what do you call them? Stockades? Stocks? What caught the attention of the jailer, Philippian jailer? They were singing songs and praying at midnight. How in the world are those two guys doing that? Singing and praying. And they're not cussing and carrying on. And that's what brought him in there. And he said, they must be saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Ah, oh, yeah. Well, and giving thanks always for all things. In the Lord, we thank you that you've brought us to this place. <laughs> This stinking dark dungeon. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought us to this place in your service. And we are, we're being blessed by having our feet in these stocks. And our aching backs and all that. But we're here suffering for your sake, Lord. Thank you. We're not worthy of this. But we thank you that you've counted us worthy to, to, to suffer for your sake. And that's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, that's where we're to be. Now, Paul said, practice what you preach. Paul practiced what he preached. He practiced it. And the proof is in the pudding. Now he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, that first and 21 is not limited to husbands and wives. But husbands and wives are included in that. So this would be all of us submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. But then he says specifically, the best marital counseling that there is. There's not a book in the whole wide world that can give you better counseling than this. Not nearly as good. Wives. Submit yourselves under your own husband. Not everybody else's husband. Under your own husband. And several times, Peter and all he says this. To your own husbands. Women do not by nature have to be subject to all men. And I've heard some Baptist preachers act like they should. He said, you submit yourself to your own husband. Yeah. As unto the Lord. How's that? Well, the Lord 
directs us. And the husband is the head of the wife. The head of the house. And he's going to give account for it. But then we'll see that when the husband is called to task here. He's got a huge responsibility. And this doesn't give a man a license to say that woman exists for me. No, no. No, we submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. No, she doesn't exist for him, nor he for her. We don't exist for each other. We exist for the Lord. But in this relationship, we've got an order. And the husband's ahead of the wife, and the wife is to submit to the husband as to the Lord. But we are both heirs together of the grace of life. Amen. Now, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. I love that. And that needs to be emphasized. A lot of preachers don't emphasize that. Own husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, now, when you submit yourself to the Lord, you're confident that the Lord is not going to put you in any kind of a bad situation. Aren't you? You don't worry about what the Lord tells you to do here in the Word of God. It doesn't put you anything going to harm you nor destroy you. It's going to, it's going to enhance you, your life. All right? For the husband is the head. You might put manager there. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Every, every place has got to have a manager. And you go to work at McDonald's. Don't you have a, a shift manager there? Dave used to work for him. Don't you got a shift manager? You go to work anywhere. You've got a manager. Now that manager is not your Lord. That manager does not control everything in your life. What that manager does is, is he directs you in the workforce, in the workplace where you are. In that order. Right there. And it does not dehumanize you for you to do what your manager tells you to do. Now if that manager's got any sense at all, He'll listen to what you've got to tell him because you may know something about what he's going to do better than he does. And that happens all the time. But anyway, a wise manager would listen. Now, therefore, Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And we're, the church, the, the assembly... We're, we're answerable to the Lord. And we do that through His Word. And there's not anything that He's told us that's going to harm us. And that's the way the husband is to be. Now, now it says, Husbands, love. Now, in this relationship, the first word about love is in response to the husband's duty. He tells the wife to submit to her own husband. But he tells the husband, doesn't mean the wife isn't to love her husband. But if the husband loves the wife like he's supposed to, I guarantee you that love will come back 
in the wife. Guaranteed it'll happen. If it's not already there. It should be there, but it, but it won't be if the husband doesn't do it right. Well, so the husband loved your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I don't understand all about that, but a lot of people don't believe this, but I believe according to this, that not only did Jesus Christ die on the cross for all of the sins of all of his elect, I believe that he died on the cross also in a very special way for his bride. And I think that says it right there. So, the Lord loved his church and he died for it. So the husband is to love the wife enough that he would die for. Now, there's no room in there for wife abuse. There just isn't any room for that. Now, if a man's got a wife, say he married her and he got saved and she wasn't saved. There could be some problems there. There are always some problems there. But it's not up to him to get her in subjection. It doesn't tell the husband to have his wife under subjection. It tells his wife to be under subjection. So, if a man's got a wife that's not in subjection to him, uh, probably not going to end up a good marriage there. There will be some problems there. But what is a husband to do for his wife? Well, this would depend on if she doesn't know much, she needs to learn that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He's to teach her. But what if she knows more than him? They need to learn together. That's what they need to do. And just because you're the man doesn't mean that you know more than she does. Doesn't automatically mean that. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to take on my wife in a Bible challenge. I respect her knowledge and her ability to show it. Doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't cut me down. I'm thankful for her. Uh, we work together. I think it's great. It's the way it ought to be. But it can't be that way if I'm constantly on her. Why'd you... D- When's the last time I told you to do something? I've never told her to do something. Don't have to. I just don't. It's just. It's not in my vocabulary. We work together. Now he might sanctify and cleanse it. Verse twenty-seven, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or anything, any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Of course, that's Christ and His church. But that same type of relationship is to be true with the husband and the wife. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. See there? Love your wife as your own body. If you can bring up yourself to love your wife as much as you love yourself, 
You both of them in pretty good shape. <laughs> Isn't that what that says? He that loveth his wife loveth himself. <clears throat> well, they're two one flesh, aren't they? So, all you got to do, brother, is just love her as much as you love yourself. <laughs> That's what it says. Because no man ever yet hated his own flesh. And the first thing most preachers and counselors say, oh, well, the first thing we've got to do, we've got to teach you to love yourself. No, you need to teach them not to love themselves because they know that's some trouble right now. They love themselves over everything and everybody else. You ever talk to somebody and they say, that's enough about you. Let's talk about me. We know people like that. It's all about me. What I gather from the word of God, man ought not to think more highly of himself than he ought to. And we ought to be concerned about others much more than ourselves. But most of our concern, it's all about me, 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 me. I, my, 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 my. Uh, if you take me, my, I out of most people's conversations, they won't have much to say. That's true. <clears throat> no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But what does he do with his own flesh? Nourishes, nourish, feeds it, and cherishes it. If you cherish something, you it count it dear to you. Right? Even as the Lord of the church. So what does the Lord do for his church? Nourishes with his word. And he cherishes it. He already proved he gave himself for it. <clears throat> for we are members of his body. Of his flesh and of his bones. Just as a husband and wife. And they too shall be one flesh. And for this reason, cause is reason, shall a man leave his father and mother, and not to turn on them, but to leave them, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's the way it's supposed to go. Now this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So, the marital relationship is secondary here. The primary is the church and the Lord. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Look over First Peter and I'll quit. Chapter 3. Verse 1, likewise you wives be in subjection to your own husband. Chapter 3, that if any obey not the word, that they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the conduct of the wives. If a woman is saved and her husband is not, she must not harp on him and try to beat, her, beat him over the head with the word of God. 
You must show yourself to be a godly woman and a wonderful wife and try to win him that way. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, I think that's fear of the Lord, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair, of wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. Now all that stuff in that verse, if you see Thompson's The Land and the Book, any of those customs of, of uh, New Testament times, fancy women, just like now, you ever see those, those models come down the run- runway and they got completely audacious hairstyles and clothes on, just looking absolutely. That's what he's talking about. That a woman is not to try to call undue attention to herself by dressing in a macabre way, weird, way out way. Be nice looking, but not like that. But let it be the hidden man or the hidden woman of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, great price, of great price. So you do it from the inside. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, that's little L, and that word Lord, kurios in the Greek, that word can be used for even a manager. Whose daughters y'all are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, y'all husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So a husband and wife, yes, he's going to give a cap to God for what goes on in that home. So the wife needs to submit to him, not in ungodly things, but in proper things. And they need to work together. And he needs to see her not as a subordinate, not as one who is less than me, but we're heirs together of the grace of life. And yes, she is a weaker vessel. Now, weaker in some respects. I doubt if any one of us, any one of us men, would last under a complete labor. Giving birth to a baby. I don't think any one of us could handle that. Anybody want to try it? Not... Not me. No. Or just the stuff that a woman goes through. I think about young women, especially those that I love, being completely under the control of some dude. What's he going to do? Get her off and beat her? Cuss her? What's he going to do to her? That's a dangerous thing. I wouldn't want to do that. And I don't want to violate my wife and subject her to something 
that I wouldn't want to be subjected to. I want to make things easier on her. I can't do it now, but there was a time I wouldn't let my wife do something that a man ought to do. I'll let that woman do it. I don't work eight hours. So is she. Go in and help her. I don't want to hurt you to get in there and help her. You realize how fun it is to work with your wife and getting something accomplished? It's a lot of fun, especially if you get the honor of kids in there with you. And we all go and get something accomplished. What a day. You don't need Disney World. That'll do. Lots of fun there. Getting something accomplished. Building something. Getting the yard in order. Getting the house in order. Watch well, woman's job. No, woman don't handle a job like that. We all live in there. We all live in there. You th do you think it's her job to pick up behind you? No, I don't know what mama's done to raise you, but, but it ain't her job to pick up behind you and clean up your cotton picking messes. It ain't her job to do that. Clean up your own mess and help her clean up what she's got to clean up. Doesn't help. Heirs together of the grace of God. That, that puts that a complete different perspective on it. I think it does. All right, dwell with her in honor. As unto the weaker bed.